Thanks for listening to the Campus Collective Podcast. As always, we pray that this resource is a helpful supplement for you as a follower of Jesus and as an active member in your local church. We love God's design for His church, and we believe that this resource could never substitute the incredible things that come from active involvement with a community of believers. Campus Collective is a ministry of Huntington Community Church. To learn more, visit our website at HuntingtonCommunityChurch.com. Ruth, turn in your Bibles to the book of Ruth. If you are new this week, you have come into the second week of a series that we are doing in the book of Ruth. And so it's right near the front of your Bibles. Tonight we'll be looking at Ruth chapter 2. And I am excited for this chapter. Um, man, there is so much gospel in this, and there's a lot to cover. And so we just have to get right, right to it. Um, not very much, by the way, of introduction, but I do, um, just in case you are new and haven't, uh, or maybe you forgot from last week or whatever, I want to catch you up with some, just kind of some summary of the story so far, but also some applications that'll be helpful for you as we navigate this together. And so if you remember, the very first phrase in the, book of Ju- or in the book of Ruth is we know that this is happening during the time of the judges. And we established that this was a time in the history of God's people where they were marked by, you see this over and over in that book, they were marked by doing what was right in their own eyes. Y'all remember this, right? It was over and over again, doing what was right in their own eyes. And what we saw, especially maybe you took time to read Judges um, this week, I don't know, But what you see is that when people do what's right in their own eyes, what happens is sin and suffering and misery upon misery. Sin and suffering are alive and well in the time of the judges because of people doing what is right in their own eyes. And then it's not hard to see that that's exactly the time that we are living in now, that people doing what is right in their own eyes. We live in a day and age where that is just as true as the time of judges. That's okay. In some ways, that gives us confidence because as we watch this story, we're gonna see God is is bound himself by his promise in Christ to continue to work even in the moral chaos of that culture, which is good news for us as people who love Jesus. We want to see people saved. We want to see the darkness pushed back on our campus and in our city. And so that means God will work in our time as well. This promise to right what is wrong, to forgive sin, to end suffering and sin, all of this comes to fruition in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He is the one who can save sinners. He's the one who will redeem everything. And because of that fact, this is so key for your Bible study, because of that fact, Every story in the Bible has echoes of the gospel that can lead our hearts and minds to worship. All of it. So in chapter one, we see this is a story of God working even in the most extreme suffering. If you remember, Elimelech and Naomi are married and they have two sons, Milan and Chilion, which you can check my, uh, that that's a pronunciation does not feel right when I'm saying it. And so you can check that later. But Milan and Chilion, there's no way it's Chilion, but uh, we noted that this would mean that Naomi was a very blessed woman. She has a husband, she has two sons to carry on the name, right? To carry on the clan's name. They're in the promised land at the time, God's promised land to his people. And then if you remember, there's a famine. And we noted some irony. We all agreed it was ironic, if you remember that, that Bethlehem literally means house of bread. Yet there's a famine in the land. And so they leave their land to go to Moab. Quick lesson for all of us. 
We're tempted to leave what God has for us when things get hard, and they decide to go straight into enemy land. The Moabites, people of Moab, were enemies of God's people. And so then we see when, they, when this little family goes to Moab, tragedy strikes. You remember this? And I think it's really easy to kind of overlook the fact that it was a famine. I mean, that alone is, is, is unthinkable suffering. We don't know that, that, that depth of suffering here. A famine, not knowing where food is coming from. So it's in that background they go in and then Elimelech dies. So now Naomi is a widow. And the narrative makes it clear that she still has her two sons. They marry Moabite women, and then they don't have children for 10 years. So the idea there is it's still going on, and maybe the family name will not continue. And then the unthinkable happens. Her sons die as well. So much pain in one sentence of the Bible that I think if we're too quick um, in our reading, we skip over just how terrible this would be. Look at this. That phrase at the end so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. She has no hope, no security, and is full of grief, but God was still for her. Even though Naomi felt like he wasn't. You remember that from last week? Saying, why is the the hand of the Lord gone against me? God was working through one of her daughters-in-law, Ruth. In a stunning display of love, Ruth refuses to let Naomi go. Even though Naomi wanted her to leave and not to go back to their land with her, the word says that Ruth clung. In one word, we see the glory of the gospel. God clings to us in Christ. He dies for our sin, rises again to secure our relationship with him forever. Ruth's love for Naomi shows us echoes of God's love for us in Christ. And as an overflow of that, it shows us what our what we're called to as followers of Jesus, a type of love that we are called to not only our neighbors, but also our enemies. We die to ourselves so that others might know his love. And so, before we get to chapter two, I have to make one very important correction from my sermon last week. And this came by the hands of my lovely wife, who came up to me and noted that I had said something wrong. All right, so bear with me. Do you remember this? Toward the end of Naomi and Ruth Orpah's loving argument about who was going to go with who. Do you remember that? They're saying, you need to go. They're saying, no. And then eventually Orpah says, okay. And then Ruth says, no, I'm not going anywhere. Naomi said something like, quote, paraphrase, quote, even if I got pregnant today, would you wait on my sons to grow up and marry them? You remember that? We were talking about that. And I made some passing snarky comment about how that's a crazy suggestion. Well, turns out, joke's on me because there's way more going on there that Courtney saw and I did not in my preparation. Naomi was thinking through the fact that one of her sons could continue the family name. So she wasn't just making some exaggerated, desperate remark. She was displaying at even a deeper level that there really was no hope for them at all to continue as a family unit. This wasn't just Naomi kind of bubbling over with grief and saying something ridiculous, though on the surface it is a ridiculous thing to think that could happen. But she is saying, look, there is not hope for this family line. Even if I got pregnant with sons right now, what are you going to do? Wait on them to grow up and then continue? So this is showing us even more just how dark this scenario was. So Orpah agrees to leave. Ruth clung. One author says that the word clung is the same word that is used for covenant, showing that Ruth was all in with God and with Naomi. And so Naomi and Ruth, broken, full of grief, make their way back to Naomi's land, Verse 22, remember this. 
So Naomi returned, Athena chapter one, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And we said that was a cliffhanger. And now we're gonna get to see why is that important and what is going on with the gospel in a barley harvest, okay? So God was at work in the details of this cliffhanger. They just so happened to show up at the beginning of the barley harvest. God is working to show his love to his people and through his people, even in the darkest moments, he is in complete control. So here we go, chapter two. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now, you can almost hear the music changing, right? This is where the story gets good. You're thinking there's no son, there's no hope for this family, and then, wait a second, there's a worthy man by the name of Boaz from the clan of Naomi's deceased husband. What a beautiful description and a high honor that Boaz is given. In a culture, listen, where everyone was doing what is right in their own eyes. We have a worthy man whose name was Boaz, someone who will fight for what is right, someone who works hard, someone who was full of integrity. Boaz is a worthy man. This is a challenge for all of us, but I would say particularly for the men, this is the type of men we should be aspiring to be. And so when I say that, I don't just mean the point of this sermon is go be a Boaz. What I'm saying is, in the beauty of a worthy man named Boaz, what we are gonna see are glories of Christ. And by the grace of God, we can work hard to be men and women who are also worthy. I'm gonna switch to the New Testament for one verse, because I think of this when Paul's writing to Ephesus in Ephesians 4.1, kind of this idea encapsulated, okay? He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So in that light, I just wanna take a pause and urge all of us, followers of Jesus in the room, you have been called to a high calling in this world. He has saved you and set you in this city, on this campus, all these things, even the times of the harvest in his control. And the urge here for us, even as we watch Christ in Boaz, is for us to be worthy of that calling. So, spoiler alert, all right? Boaz is going to fall in love with Ruth. I'm sorry. I don't know if you knew that all right, but if you've read this, you know, you know it's coming. But I want you to know that now because I want you to know that this kind of beautiful romance is gonna happen because you need to have your gospel lenses on when you watch this story because Boaz will show us a picture of the ultimate bridegroom, Jesus Christ, who is worthy of all of our honor and praise and worship. All right, verse two, here we go. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter, so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of, <laughs> and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was, the, who was of the clan of Elimelech. You have to love Ruth's determination here, right? One author says that her hard work here to go provide for Naomi is a picture of the love of God in her for Naomi. So Ruth's not waiting around. She's saying, look, we have work to do. I have all in with this God. I'm all in with my mother-in-law. I'm gonna go work in the field. And it's, it's amazing. She gets to work. She clearly has some ears of grain to glean. And just remember, this was just in time for the harvest. 
Notice how God's orchestrating these details together. She knows I've got to go provide. She goes to the field just at the right time of harvest. So Naomi sees this as a good idea and blesses Ruth on her way. I want you to see two beautiful things going on here, though, in these couple verses. Number one is this. This is a phrase, gleaned in the field after the reapers. Now, that seems like a throwaway line, right? Just letting us know when this happened. But there's something unbelievable happening behind these verses. I checked this with a few sources to make sure my line of thinking was right. So let's build the logic here. First thing, it is clear that she gleaned getting some of the grain from the harvest after the reapers went through. And so in this one moment, we actually see some of the worthiness of Boaz on display. Leviticus 19, all right? This is um, the law book, um, one of the law books that God gave his old covenant people. And this is incredible. Leviticus 19, verse one and two says this, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So the people of God, people who are in covenant relationship with Jesus um, by faith are called to be holy. And then the rest of chapter 19, we see a few ways that this plays itself out very practically. I want you to see this, it's beautiful. All right, so be holy as I am holy, all right? That's the call to us. First Peter picks this up. It's not an old covenant thing. We are called to be holy people. And what does that look like? Look down at verse nine in Leviticus. If you turn there, it's a few books over. If not, it should be on the screen. Yes, okay. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. This is amazing. In one law, we see God's heart for people who cannot provide for themselves. What does this show us about Boaz? He is not someone who cut corners to take advantage of people. Ruth had something to glean because Boaz's worthiness in his relationship with God led him to obey God. This is unbelievable. He is willing to obey the law of God, even though he could get more profit and have more for himself if he would glean all the way up to the edge. This is amazing. So this side of the cross and resurrection, we can take these ancient laws and let them teach us what it means to love God and love our neighbor. So I just want to ask you, followers of Jesus in the room, this might, might not make any sense to you if you don't know Jesus, but followers of Jesus in the room, ask the Holy Spirit to show you where you can be generous in small, unnoticeable ways to the needy people in your life. It's unbelievable. This is part of what it looks like to be holy. You are someone who will obey even when you're not thanked so that it might help someone you don't know. What a beautiful calling. And I'm talking in any small way. What would it look like to leave room in your conversation circle tonight so someone new might feel welcome? Y'all know what that feels like. Have you ever been to a place where there's circles everywhere and you can't get in one? It happens to me often. I'm like, I often am kind of like, man, there are no circles I can budge in, right? It's kind of awkward. So I'm not saying that Leviticus 19 is thinking about the new covenant people of God in Huntington making their circles not gleaned all the way up to the edge. But I want you to be thinking, if loving God means being open and available with your resources to people who are needy, what might it look like for the people of God in this room to live this way? Not letting anyone sit alone. Little things, just like Boaz, who was worthy of his calling. Let's be worthy men and worthy women, full of God's love that shows itself in acts of mercy. Boaz is a worthy man, and he shows us the mercy of Christ. 
So that's from that gleaning. Man, I hope you love that. Number two, from this past, from this, these verses. Don't you love the Bible? Literally, it says this. She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Now, the God over and over, God in the Bible over and over and over again screams that he is sovereign and in control of everything. So when the author of Ruth is writing this, what they don't mean is like, well, God got lucky, all right? What this is showing us is just, I honestly think God's having some fun here. This is divinely inspired fun for us. She just so happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Come on, I've got no other application there other than just, come on, that's beautiful, all right? Verse four, gets even better. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. Just enjoy this story. Don't you love? Behold, <laughs> he's here. The worthy man from Bethlehem is here. This is too good. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Fascinating way to come meet your friends. It is clear that the Lord is at work in the lives of Boaz and the reapers. And the anticipation is amazing. Can you feel it? Ruth just so happens. First, verse one of chapter two. We know there's a worthy man. Of, we know there's a worthy man. Same as Boaz. She just so happens to know she needs to go work to go to the field. And just so happened to go to the part of the field where Boaz happens to own. And he just so happens to be a worthy man who obeys God in all ways, which provides for her. And then behold, Boaz makes his way from Bethlehem. Verse five. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers said, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So Boaz wants to know who this woman is in his field. One commentator noted that Ruth's confidence here shows her confidence to go glean in the field shows confidence in God already because she knows that he's commanded his people to do this. So Ruth is also a worthy woman. It's a woman of strong faith. I love this verse. Notice what a woman of strong faith looks like. Looks like. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Don't you love this? I love that we know that she did take a little break, but she has gone at it in the harvest all day. Faith in God looks like working hard to love people. Ruth is providing for the one that she has covenanted to. And it is beautiful. Now, Charles Spurgeon helped me out here. I told you, mentioned him last week. His sermons are often, I think I said they were gospel candy. I don't know if that helped you or not, but you should read these. And I'm not entirely sure how he does this because he's able to see spiritual lessons in every single nook and cranny of a story. And in one of his sermons, he compares Ruth's gleaning and hard work to what believers must be doing as they glean from God's word. Now, I'm not entirely sure if that's what the Lord intended in this story. And I'm not about to be the guy who comes up and disagrees with Spurgeon. But I think it's safe to be inspired by Ruth's hard work in the harvest and let that be what our lives look like as we love God and love people. Did you know there is not a place for laziness in the kingdom of God? And Ruth's example shows us the beauty of a hardworking woman loving and caring for God's people. And so I do think it's worth stopping to consider our own lives. I don't know, especially as our age group, if I can put myself in that one, we do not spend enough time repenting of our own laziness. Oftentimes, our sloth and our addiction to distraction is excused as a joke or a funny waste of time. When that is not what God calls us to as his people. Proverbs 26, 14, and 15. It's almost cartoonish how these proverbs go at laziness. I don't know if you've read this before. 
As the door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. (laughs) This is a ridiculous image here. I need you to hear that the way that you work at your jobs and school and ministry show a lot about your heart and what you believe about reality. Do you believe that your job is meant for you to show off the glory of Jesus by how you work for him even more than for your boss? Do you believe that you honor God with your mind when you study hard for school and don't cheat in class? Listen, we want you to be whole disciples of Jesus in this ministry. Your jobs and your classes are not obstacles to your ministry or your life of glorifying God. They are your ministry and a part of your life glorifying God. How many of us let this lazy, distracted mindset carry over into the way that we engage conversations in the way that we worship God? Now, we need to get back to the story, but I just love the example of Ruth working hard while still honoring rest in this story. It is obvious that worthy men like Boaz are attracted to hardworking women like Ruth. Let's go to the next verse, verse eight. Then Boaz said to Ruth, here we go, making his move. Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean another field or leave this one, (laughs) but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Look at this amazing mercy of Boaz to Ruth. It really does show us an example of what worthy men do. They use their lives and resources to care for people who are needy. And there is no doubt that Ruth is in a tough spot here, right? We know she's been in grief. There's been no hope. They don't know what to do. And she goes here and by Boaz's obedience, we see a display of the mercy of God in Christ. She was unable to provide for herself and she was diligently gleaning from what she could find in God's land. But notice, Boaz clearly wants to bring her in close. He provides for her, he shows her protection, tells him not to touch her, and even has water ready for her to sustain her. A worthy man from Bethlehem is a worthy man indeed. I hope you are seeing the gospel here already. We are the ones who are in desperate need of the mercy of God. And in Christ, he provides for us, he protects us, and he offers us water that will be satisfying our every need. These little details of how God takes care of Ruth through Boaz should make you humble in worship for how Christ takes care of you. It is so easy in our consumeristic culture to take for granted everything that we have. But God has actually provided for you. Christ is our provision, and that would be enough, but he has overwhelmed us with his provision. Look how Ruth responds to this mercy. It's a good indicator of how we should be responding to the mercy of God for us in Christ. Verse 10. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? I love her humble faith here. She is overwhelmed by mercy and you should be overwhelmed too. Have you ever asked these questions in prayer? Why have I found favor in your sight, O God? After all I've done, after all I've thought, after all I've, how I've behaved, how I treat people, yet he looks at you and gives you mercy? We don't even deserve to glean in God's field. Why would God even take notice of us? We, like the Moabites, are enemies of God. But just like Boaz, Jesus Christ steps in to show us mercy in spite of ourselves, not because we're worthy, but because he is. 
Verse 11, but Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. So word is clearly getting around about Ruth. It doesn't look like Boaz is the only worthy person in this love story. But notice how he connects it to the Lord. Verse 12, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. We talked about this idea of refuge in Christ from Psalm 11 and a couple weeks ago, week one of, of uh, this semester. But this is such a beautiful picture of salvation for us. The Lord's wings cover us in refuge. This is the protection and the intimacy that we have with God in Christ. Some of you, that might be the only thing you take away tonight. When you're done with whatever you're doing after this, you lay down on your bed and you pray and thank God that he is covering you with his wings. That is intimate, loving protection from a heavenly father and mercy that we do not deserve. 13. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Here's some good old-fashioned Moabite flirting going on, all right? That's what this is. She has found favor in his eyes. She's been comforted by him. He has spoken kindly to her. I think they might like each other, okay? Verse 14, and at mealtime, I love this, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers as he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. This just keeps getting better. Not only does Boaz provide for her, protect her, and cover her in his wings, he says, hey, take a break and come eat with me. <laughs> I want to feed you. She gets a place among the reapers. She eats until she's satisfied, and she even has some left over. This is so gospel-rich for us. Do you know that our Savior calls himself the bread of life? And if you recall this story when he feeds the 5,000 in the gospel, Matthew 14, verse 20, did you know this detail was in here? This is after he feeds them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces of leftover. In the mercy of God, he loves to satisfy us so much that we have enough to share with others. God is not reluctantly giving you mercy. He is a father that is of exuberant joy, overflowing love toward his people. He is a good father. He will overwhelm you with his love and mercy. And when your eyes are open to that beauty, it is truly too much to handle sometimes. And that is why we have to sing after sermons. We can't just all be like, all right, heard that and leave. Your heart, especially, listen to me if you follow Jesus. You should be begging God to open your eyes so that you might see this overflowing mercy in your life. Because not only will it satisfy you, it will be enough to share with other needy people in your life. And even if you don't know Christ, oh my goodness, we want you to have this satisfaction. Nowhere you eat will satisfy like this. You will leave starving and more destitute without a place at the table. But not with Jesus. Go back to a Spurgeonism here. You do have to work hard in the fields of God's word to get there. And I know, I've walked with you, I know some of you struggle with feeling this type of intense joy and delight. And I want to assure you that God is with you. Keep working at the promises, meditate on them, dwell on his goodness over and over again. He will satisfy. Psalm 23, five, a couple pictures of what this looks like for your meditation. I'm not going to go long here, but I want you to see these. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Psalm 81.10, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I love this. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. (laughs) God is saying, I can do this. I will be your satisfaction. You just open your mouth in faith. Back to the story, verse 15. Here we go. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. It's almost like Boaz is showing off here a little bit. I'm kidding, but this is pretty, this is pretty cool. Even after the meal, tells them, hey, give her more. But now she gets to continue reaping among the sheaves without reproach. She even gets some of the bundles and he is overwhelming this woman with blessing. Verse 17, so she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. So she continued to work hard the rest of the day. Verse 18, and she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw that she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. So she brings it back to Naomi. And I love that the Bible just wants to remind us in case we forgot, she brought out and gave her what food she had after it was left over and she was satisfied. I love that. Verse 19, and her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Don't you love this? This is like when someone you like, you find out they kind of like you back and you go tell all your friends and family about it because you're all excited. Like it's okay to just be really pumped about this romance here. She's like, let me tell you, Naomi, about my day in the field and at the table and also in the field again after. There's a man named Boaz. Verse 20, and Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness is not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours. Key in here, one of our redeemers. This will be very important next week. Keep this in mind. Another pointer to our redeemer, Jesus. Verse 21, and Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they finished all my harvests. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. It wasn't very safe, apparently, in this place. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Quite a harvest season for Ruth, I would say. So, band, make your way up to help us finish out the night in worship. But here's my prayer for us. We We enjoy this story and all of its pointers and echoes of the gospel. What I want us to do in response to God's mercy for us in Christ... Let us be hardworking, worthy men and women whose satisfaction in God's love leads us to an overflow that shows mercy and love to the ones around us. We have been given so much mercy in Christ. In spite of all of our sin, he has pursued us by his death and resurrection that we might be brought under his wings. And we are all caught up in this story. So don't miss tonight what God might be doing in your heart. Let's stand and sing.